everyone, and thanks for tuning in. The Turn and Talk podcast is an education-focused podcast that gives you an inside look into today's schools, classrooms, and the minds of educators in the words of real but anonymous classroom teachers and school staff. The mission of Turn and Talk podcast is to give the education mic back to those who actually do the important work of educating our children, the teachers, the school administrators, and the support staff. I'll invite them to our show and ask them questions and you will hear their responses without filter. Hi, listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of the Turn and Talk podcast. This episode is special because it doesn't involve an interview. Today, I share my own takeaways from the first four episodes and also share a couple of announcements. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas, questions, please share them with me by sending an email at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Let's begin with announcements. First and foremost, I want to wish everyone a safe and joyful holiday. If you celebrate a particular holiday during this winter break, may the celebration be extra special, full of love, peace, and happiness for you and your family and loved ones. Let's also please send positive vibes, energy, prayers, and wishes to all those for whom this time is difficult. Let's begin with the remainder of the announcements. So first of all, a huge thank you to all of the new subscribers, the listeners, thanks to all of you. I'm really grateful to you all for taking the time to listen to the podcast and sharing your valuable feedback. Thanks also for tuning in and listening to the educators who are taking the mic back to say their piece. If you are an educator in any capacity, you could be a homeschool teacher, a tutor, a classroom teacher, school leader, the lunch gentleman or lady. If you are someone in the field of education who has something to say about education that needs to be said, or that isn't said enough, I want to interview you. Please email me at turnatalkpodcast at gmail.com so we can set the mic up and give it back to you. Third announcement, please review the podcast and share it with your friends and family. It'll help the podcast grow and the perspectives of educators will reach more people, which is one of the goals of this platform. So I would appreciate a review and your feedback as well. Lastly, I am really very excited about a couple of interviews coming up in the next year. These interviews are with people from two different parts of the world and I'm going to be interviewing two teachers from two different countries and I can't wait to share these interviews with you. I view teachers as a global fraternity, community, we're all in it and it is really interesting and important to connect with other educators from around the world and I hope to be able to help facilitate that for our listeners. All right, so let's begin with takeaways. During interviews, I don't like to share too many of my own thoughts. It's, believe me, it's really hard for me to keep my mouth shut for that long, but I do try my best to not give too many of my own thoughts because the interviews aren't about me. They are about the interviewee, the person who has taken the time and committed to sharing their thoughts and perspectives with the audience, and I want to make sure I don't say too much in that time. So every so often, I will be sharing my own thoughts, reflections, and takeaways in this special episode format. So we'll talk about uh, each of the episodes very briefly and just share my personal perspectives based on the conversation I had with the individual who was interviewed. Here's some thoughts from episode one, The Urban Speducator. So my first takeaway was that teachers have a lot of untapped knowledge, skills, and talents. So many teachers are in schools just doing a good job of teaching, but they also have other skills and talents that the rest of the community can learn from. So I feel we, the school staff, 
especially the school leaders, have to find out who is in the building. And when I say who's in the building, and I'm not just talking about who are the teachers, what are their names, and what do they do, what do they teach. I'm only talking about it, you know, who they are at a deeper level. What do they bring in terms of their strengths, talents that we can all, the rest of us, can learn from. And a lot of teachers have these special talents and thoughts. For example, the interviewee appear to have interest and knowledge of trauma-informed instruction. That is an area for me that is new, and I want to learn more about it. So I would like to really do that. That was my second takeaway, that that's something that I want to add to my toolbox because it is currently lacking. But going back to the first takeaway that that's the type of expertise school staff, school leaders, great team leaders should be tapping into. If we know someone in our community has interest in something like that or has a resource or could be a resource, teach us information and give us knowledge related to a topic, then we should be able to quickly identify that person and use them and leverage their expertise to spread the knowledge to as many other educators as possible in the school community. So as I was speaking to the urban speducator, I was thinking about and hoping really that in her school community, she is being tapped into for knowledge related to trauma-informed instruction, because if not, what a missed opportunity. So that really brought me to the second takeaway from this episode. I personally have to get better at and continue to increase my knowledge around the concept of trauma-informed instruction. Finally, I feel schools are not doing enough to learn from each other. As you'll recall in the first episode, we had an exchange about public schools, traditional public schools, and charter schools. There is unfortunately too much politics involved, and there are a lot of egos that get in the way of saying, hey, we suck at this. We don't know how to do this well, or this particular thing we're doing isn't really good enough. And which school is better than us at doing this? That kind of a question I find is very difficult to come by and a lot of things get involved that create a barrier in pursuing other schools that are doing particular things better. So let's get there as soon as possible because, again, another missed opportunity. We have a lot of schools that are doing a lot of things really well and other schools should be able to easily learn from them, go and observe them, leverage their resources a little bit to some extent to develop those same practices and bring them to their own schools. I mean, that's when change can happen and that is productive and effective and right for children. That I felt, what a missed opportunity that is. Both types of schools really don't collaborate anywhere. I haven't heard of any charter public school collaboration that is happening. And if there is, maybe I just don't know about it. And I would hope that the listeners would share some of those examples because I think more of those examples are needed and people need to hear about them if they do exist. And if such partnerships are not happening, then we got to get to them. If charter schools need help in doing better, they should be observing and learning from public schools that have been doing a great job. And similarly, if charter schools do a particular thing well, public schools should be able to go to those schools and learn from them. We need to put our egos and the politics aside to really make more schools better, faster. And the way to do that is to learn from one another. And first step in that is to identify what you don't do well. And that's where the process kind of begins. I've been around many schools and this mindset of being open to learning from others and remaining humble is one I have 
to say I don't see enough. I do think that it starts from the top. And by top, I mean school administration, school leadership. When school leaders show humility and show that they're open to learning new things before passing judgment, then it will seep through to the staff. A school, in my view, is a reflection of its leadership. If the leadership is, for example, too relaxed, you'll feel that too relaxed kind of an attitude in the hallways of that school, in the staff room, and in the staff PDs. And on the other side, if the school leadership appears to be in a constant panic, then that too will seep into everything and everyone uh, in the community. And you'll see people in a state of panic and nervous, and there will be a lot of anxiety in that community. And then somewhere in the middle, if you see a school leader or school leaders who are very organized and have are systems-oriented and create reliable, predictable systems to efficiently run a school to facilitate learning, then you will see those qualities begin to transfer to the other members of the community. So really, if we want to learn and if we want to constantly get better so that we could provide children with the best possible education, then we must have the mindset of learning, being humble, and seeking out people who are doing it better, frankly. Whether it be a public school or charter school or a religious school or a private school, whatever the case may be, we need to be able to say, hey, we haven't been doing this well either. We figure out how to do it well ourselves. And if we can't, then we need to go out and look for settings where it's being done well. In the second and the third interviews, both of these kind of related to related services providers people other than the classroom teacher who are also involved in the education of children, typically in a classroom setting. These two interviews I'm talking about, in episode two, we interviewed a speech-language teacher, and in episode three, we interviewed a paraprofessional. From both of these interviews, similar themes emerge, so I'm kind of lumping my takeaways together from both of these episodes. So the major takeaway for me was the realization that the related services providers like speech teachers and classroom aides like paraprofessionals are so underutilized. Sure, I always kind of knew this. I feel there has to be time built into schedules for teachers and related service providers to meet outside of the IEP meeting. Those of us unfamiliar with the IEP meeting, individualized education plans are developed a team of teachers, parents, psychologists, and related service providers, and then on an annual basis, they are reviewed in case they need to be amended, changed, goals need to be updated, etc. Now, if everything's on track, annual review meeting should have you know, the members of the IEP team contribute their perspective and, and the data to determine if any changes should be made to the plan, the child education program. Um, besides this opportunity, there aren't really any other opportunities for teachers and the related services providers and powers to connect, sit down, to discuss each child one at a time, and thoroughly discuss, you know, what the services should be like and how to provide them in, in the class and what, what to do to help the student meet their goal. This is where the disconnect is. You know, typically everyone is short on time and therefore people usually talk via email, sometimes on the phone, and most of the time just in passing, you know, while they're passing each other in the hallway. And that's not enough time to really thoughtfully engage in a conversation about how to support a student. And that's one of the reasons why the collaboration doesn't always work so well. Now, I will say I hate talking to people in the hallway while I'm trying to welcome students into my classroom and get them on task immediately. So that's one of my pet peeves, but it does happen and it has to happen because if not then, then when else. So I totally understand it, but I don't 
like engaging in that kind of conversation because I like to be able to sit and think through and talk through an issue but you can't always have it that way. So all this is to say that a time for such meeting has to be built into the schedules of teachers and related services providers and I personally try my best to send my learning unit to all teachers and service providers um, when I'm about to launch it. So we just started the World War II unit in my classroom and before the unit started I sent the unit plan to all of the teachers that included related services providers and and that's pretty much what I do and all I do as far as proactively planning with other teachers on how to support students. Because again, we don't really have a time to meet to specifically do this kind of work. So what typically happens in response to this email that I send, you know, some people reach out, hey, there's a possibility for cross-curricular connections. You want to do this together? And I would say, yeah, great. Exactly why I sent this to you. And, you know, let's meet during lunch one of these days and figure out what our collaboration will look like. That's what usually happens organically when I send that email out, but not everyone responds. So that's just part of life because people have a lot of other things to do. And therefore, you know, the conversation doesn't go too far from there. So again, if we had a time to meet with related service providers, I would better be able to talk to them, identify where in the unit specific students are likely to face particular challenges, challenges that are specific to their disability, for example, and what we can do, the two of us or the three of us to support the student through those channels and that's a long conversation it's not a you know two minute three minute check-in before class starts which is how it usually happens so again that's one of the realizations it's not a new realization but it's one of the realizations that were reinforced to me that that time is necessary and needed on that note if any of you who are listening have examples of models of collaboration where you are working with related services providers more effectively than what i've just described then please do reach out email me at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com and I'd love to talk more with you and pick your brain a little bit about how to do this better myself. But my understanding generally is speaking to many teachers that what I'm describing seems to be what a lot of teachers experience as far as collaboration with other service providers is concerned. And therefore, for me, the biggest takeaway from those two episodes was just the, the time. We need to make the time. And then finally, my thoughts on the para collaborations are, are very similar but slightly different. Para I feel should also have the opportunity to communicate with teachers they work with regularly. Additionally, the PD, the professional development or training for paraprofessionals is crucial and and has to be provided consistently. I also think paras and teachers should participate in in those training together so that there are opportunities to plan classroom supports better, to communicate, to talk about concerns, connect, uh, because those opportunities are really, really rare where the paras and the teachers sit down and, and talk, in my experience. And again, if your experience is different or you're doing it better than what I'm describing, I just want to hear it so that I can also grow from it and try to implement some changes into my own practice. And I also sometimes feel that paras are not clear on what their primary responsibilities are and what is the role of the classroom teacher in their work, like how they are supposed to collaborate. So I think training and team building to me seem to be the areas to focus on if we want paras to support in the classroom or para support in the classroom to be effective. So I look forward to interviewing more paras. I do plan on interviewing more parents and continue to develop a deeper understanding of their perspectives because again those perspectives are always missing i don't see a lot of school leaders team leaders teachers asking paraprofessionals for their perspective and i think those conversations are important finally the last episode to share my takeaways from is the fourth episode where i had a conversation with a literacy 
specialist and that left me with a lot of thoughts too because we talked about a lot of different things in that interview but I'll share my main takeaway here first I thought on the alternate route programs this was one of my biggest takeaways now I know there are many alternate route to teaching program where if you didn't go to ed school for undergrad you can get into this special program that'll help you get your credentials going and give you some coursework to get you ready for the classroom but usually in this alternate route programs your on-the-job training is little to non-existent so where a traditional route teacher candidate would spend a few months in in a classroom as a student teacher sometimes it's even half a year sometimes some people do it for longer than a little bit longer than half a year so that is a very valuable experience but in alternate route programs often not always I think often though that time is shrunk down to a month maybe two months I've never heard of a two-month one but very limited in the classroom training and that makes a big difference so my realization was that some alternate route programs are probably better than others but it seems that a lot of them are insufficient especially the ones that allow you to teach while also getting your education degree uh, first couple of years are already hard enough for all teachers even if you went to the traditional route and had the classroom experience it's still hard for you but when you only have a month or less of summer training or something and you're thrown into the classroom under some temporary certification setup those first couple of years are going to be way harder because you don't have enough of an educational foundation necessary to do the work right so you know in the interview the learning specialist was talking about how she she had read briefly about how to plan learning units etc but she had never done it but if she had had six months of or three months of student teaching experience she probably would have seen a unit plan done created with her you know co-teacher or her host teacher but she didn't really have that experience in her alternate route program and as a result she was planning on a day-to-day basis every day trying to plan a lesson staying up really late at night trying to get these lessons ready and also trying to develop a unit plan really really not fair to the teachers and it's not fair to the students especially because they're in a class with this teacher who does not have a solid learning plan and And you can imagine the consequences of that. Alternate route teaching programs seem to be insufficient uh, at best. And therefore, we should really, really rethink those and how we do them. Because they're not preparing people, for the most part, to start teaching on day one. That's very consequential and we need to really rethink that. Second point was around the measures of teacher effectiveness. Like, what makes a teacher effective and how do we measure that? And how do we do teacher evaluations and teacher ratings? The learning specialist and I had a conversation about that because her current role is as an instructional leader where she does get to evaluate teachers and this is also a huge topic but it appears we don't have this sorted out in in the United States either. Some places put too much emphasis on test scores while others too much on observations of teachers. I don't think personally test scores are good for much as far as teacher evaluation is concerned so I do agree to an extent when she described a 360 evaluation process. That sounded very appealing to me where teachers, peers, and students have a say in how well the teacher's doing maybe parents are involved too and we kind of try angulate that data to figure out how the teacher's doing overall that kind of a holistic approach seems better to me than focusing too much on a test score because there's just lots of issues on test scores so i would want in addition to some of the 
those metrics like peer evaluation, student evaluation, parent evaluation. I would also want assessment data as part of that evaluation, but not standardized test scores. So whichever assessments, end of unit assessments, summative assessments that are used to evaluate students' strengths and areas of need academically and social emotionally, those assessment data are important to include and especially the teacher's response to those assessment data. And that's what's really important to me. What matters is what we do with the data. So I think effective teaching is kind of this constant back and forth between collecting data and responding to data. So that's an important piece to me of teaching effectively and I would want that a part of the teacher evaluation. So that's where I'm at with teacher evals right now. But I have a lot more to learn on this topic. If you have ideas or in your district or your school, teacher evals are done in a creative way, especially in a way that you feel is fair or you like it and you're invested in, I would love to talk to you, learn from you. Please email me at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com wow i really talked a lot today so that's all for today's episode and i hope you enjoyed this kind of special episode where i got to share my thoughts as well and i look forward to presenting a new interview to you very soon stay tuned subscribe and i'll talk to you soon bye bye And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash turn and talk podcast we invite you to also follow us on instagram at turn and talk podcast if you haven't subscribed yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please please email us at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in This is your host, Jay McSuits, signing out. Peace.